Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Inspiring you to bring God back into the conversation of the day. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. First of March, 2022. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBerge. There's a lot going on today. We could say that every day, but there's a lot going on today. And and today is a day that some will be very focused on tomorrow, which is Ash Wednesday, the beginning of Lent. And so today they will be, I don't know if the word is celebrating, but they will be um, observing Shrove Tuesday, Fat Tuesday. Paul likes to call it Pancake Day. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. So um, Paul Perot is the producer of this program yeah. and the one who uh, really makes all of it happen. I just talk. And um, Paul sends me a list every day of, like, the things that are today. So, um, Paul, other than Pancake Day, what is today? Well, anything else on your list? There was like Smile Day. There was like a dog smiling. (laughs) Yes, it's National Smile Day. Mm -hmm. Um, I forgot what some of the other. Of course, it's Meteorological Spring. Today is the start of Meteorological Spring. What's that? Yeah, I thought you would bring that one up. Well, you know, I'm a weather guy. I like talking weather. Mm -hmm. Well, whether you focus on the weather or not, today is the 1st of March. And um, tomorrow marks the beginning of uh, what we call the season of Lent, season of preparation for Holy Week and Easter. Lots of people today are going to be focused on um, the State of the Union address tonight, which will be delivered by the President of the United States, Joe Biden. Um, And everyone will, at some level, be giving their attention today to the events unfolding in Ukraine as Russia um, steps up its efforts to besiege and, and ultimately overthrow that sovereign country. Um, so if we thought that the Ukrainians had done an admirable job to this point, and they certainly have, thwarting Russian efforts, um, everyone who is paying attention recognizes that the next 24, 48, 72 hours are um, are going to be bad, going to be very bad. And so we'll go into the reasons for that, um, you know, as our morning unfolds. But I thought that we would lead off today as we pray the news and as we pray the word of God, that we would um, turn to the Lord, lift up the people of Ukraine in our prayers, and use Psalm 91 as as fodder for those prayers today. Psalm 91 reads, Whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Surely he will save you from the fowler's snare and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his feathers, and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness will be your shield and your rampart. You will not fear the terror of night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the plague that destroys at midday. A thousand may fall at your side, 
10,000 at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You, uh, you will only observe with your eyes and see the punishment of the wicked. If you say, the Lord is my refuge, and you make the Most High your dwelling, no harm will overtake you, no disaster will come near your tent. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. You will tread on the lion and the adder. You will trample the great lion and the serpent. Because he loves me, says the Lord, I will rescue him. I will protect him, for he acknowledges my name. He will call on me, and I will answer him. I will be with him in the midst of his trouble, and I will deliver him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. That's Psalm 91. Um, Let that be fodder today for your prayers for the people of Ukraine as they hide and shelter and live in great fear uh, of an enemy that is in the world far greater than them. And let this be a time that people come to acknowledge the greatness and the goodness of God, Um, that even in the midst of war, God is present and God ultimately prevails. We're going to talk about um, what's happening in Ukraine. We're going to have a worldview conversation with Nick Pitts coming up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Now, Nick Pitts, he's a fellow at the Institute for Global Engagement. Nick, welcome back. Why, hello, Carmen, and happy March to you. March Madness mm-hmm. is upon us, and not just on the basketball court, but uh, yeah. seemingly across the world. There is a madness out there, is there not? But it's not mm-hmm. new, and that's um, I think that's where I'd like to start with you today. There is a madness um, in the world, as you so rightly observe, um, but it's not new. Um, you and I both read a an article uh, posted at religionnews.com entitled, yeah, because this the title gives it away here, Pagans and Witches Offer Prayers for Peace in Ukraine. Concerned for the people of Ukraine, pagans offered prayers and energy work for peace. Um, as I read this, um, even just the, the lead-off sentence where this identified pagan named Byron Ballard Um, says, we stand here helpless under this crescent moon. We stand here helpless as the inevitable happens. Um, uh, That's not a prayer. Prayer is offered to the reality of a God who can do something, Um, not with this fatalistic inevitability of of disaster which comes upon us. And, And we don't look to the moon for our salvation. So what's going on here? Yeah, um, I think there's two there's two interesting characteristics that we can take from the article just depicting um, the pagan outreach and the pagan desire to want to 
bring about peace through their various ways is one, recognize the reality that many of us have been awakened to something that the vast majority of human history has been a very familiar um, familiar uh, acquaintance with, is the reality that we live in a very broken and violent world. Um, it's only the relative peace, one might say the Pax Americana of the past 50 years, that we have been, we've been living in relative significant peace all these years. But for the vast majority of human history has been a struggle for power where there is tyrants and there is dictators and evil rulers like President Putin that have sought to exercise their will upon innocent and, uh, and, and, and in unjustifiable ways. This is the vast majority of what's happened in human history, and our response to it reveals how good the peace we've had over the past 50 years um, have been. The, the second thing I'd point to is just the reality that, again, um, it, witches and pagans, as what this article depicts, um, shares that, that they've been a part, but they're increasingly becoming a growing part. Religion news isn't just highlighting this small segment of individuals that are that are using their religion in such a way to be able to bring about peace. What we know from um, over at Brandeis University has done a lot of work on Wicca and paganism, and it, it's risen from 134,000 uh, Americans in, in early 2000 who claimed to be uh, Wicca or pagan to now nearly 2 million today. We've seen a significant rise um, uh, in paganism and, and witchcraft. And in a time in which individuals are trying to find peace or trying to make sense of this world, of course, a, a growing group of Americans, uh, namely Wiccans and pagans, would find venue in the pages of Religion News Service. Yeah, I I, um, I want to note to um, to everyone that uh, people who self-identify as witches or pagans is actually a relatively, in fact, very small percentage of the population mm-hmm. of the people of Ukraine. So we are acknowledging that, um, you know, Religion News is making much of something that might be relatively um, small in terms of percentage witness in the population. However, I did note that this um, monument that stands in uh, Kiev's central square, which was just erected in 2001, um, is this symbol of Ukrainian, uh, as a symbol of Ukrainian independence, actually depicts this historically Slavic mythological female mother of all living things, goddess of home and family. And, um, and so it did occur to me that when, when even modern supposedly Christian countries, which Ukraine is overwhelmingly people self-identify as Christian, um, oh, most yeah. of them Orthodox Christians of three yeah. or four different Eastern Orthodox varieties. But overwhelmingly, I mean, some like 70 percent of yeah. the Ukrainian yeah. population self-identifies as Christian. However, I will say most of them culturally so, not convictionally so or confessionally so. And so there are distinctions to be made. But when we talk about, um, you know, as a culture, what they were willing just in 2001 to have be the sign and symbol of their independence, they did choose this Slavic mythological female figure, um, a goddess, so to speak. And that is the graven image, the golden calf, uh, unto which these pagans are giving these prayers, saying these things under these, you know, under the moon. And I, I, I couldn't help but 
you know, think about in Exodus when, you know, the people make a golden calf and, you know, um, I, I mean, you know, where you return to under duress, people return to things other than God. They turn to options other than the salvation that we find exclusively um, in God. I thought of Elijah on Mount Carmel. Like, I mean, I just this this article illuminating what these pagans and witches are doing in Ukraine in terms of lifting up prayers. The the language of prayer is so curious to me. So when we come back, Nick, I want to stay on this subject for just a minute because I want to talk about prayer. And I want to talk about, you know, when we when we in our culture respond to an event and say, you know, um, my thoughts and prayers are with you, we get this crazy pushback sometimes. It occurs to me it's because People don't believe there's a real God who could really do something about what people are really experiencing in real time. So can we talk about that when we come back? Of course. All right. We're going to talk about to whom we pray. Um, and as Christians, the the power of our prayers in these days. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBerge. We're talking with Nick Pitts, and we'll be right back. That is the prayer for Ukraine that was sung on Saturday Night Live. God is finding uh, his opportunities for witness um, in the culture through the events unfolding in Ukraine. We're talking with Nick Pitts. We're talking worldview. Uh, you can find Nick at the Institute for Global Engagement. Nick, um, you and I uh, both read this article at religionnews.com about pagans and witches offering prayers for peace in Ukraine. The very end of the article um, it, you know, is this acknowledgement by this uh, pagan priestess, which uh, come to find out there are seminaries for pagan priests and priestesses in the United States. I didn't know that. I learned that in the article. Um, but this individual says, I lift up a prayer for the world because that is all I can do right now. When I pray to the Lord, our God, who is not a mythological uh, creature of my own imagining, but Uh, a real, the real God, the real living God who came in real time, in a real place, in the real person of the real Savior, Jesus Christ. Like, I can, I can know God through his revealed word and through his son um, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Like, my prayers go somewhere real to a real, all-powerful, omniscient being. These pagans are lifting up prayers to no one and nothing, Mm-hmm. Yeah, there, there's two pieces to that, right? There's the there's the data driven piece, and then there's the reality of what we have. And so, I love what Ian Bounds said. Ian Bounds said that prayer isn't the prayer isn't the thing we do before we start the work. It is the work in and of itself, right? Um, and uh, so, we understand the power of prayer, right? Tim Keller, in his book on praying, says that prayer is a battle against the status quo. It's the realization that things are not right in the world, and I'm trying to make, and I'm trying to, I'm petitioning the God of this world uh, to make things right, uh, to make His kingdom come and His will be done. Things in Ukraine that are happening right now with the Russian invasion to the pandemic, um, it's awakening us to the reality that, that we live in a broken world and we need someone bigger than this world to make a change. Um, we saw with the pandemic, there was a surge in individuals that were looking for and trying to figure out more about how to pray. Um, Google reported it was upwards of like a 50%. I think it was a 50% surge, yeah, according to the Telegraph out of the UK, in the number of people that were looking up prayer to try to figure out how do we mm. pray? Because mm. increasingly, 
what we're finding is that what we know from the numbers less people are praying now. Uh, a Pew survey found that a uh, growing number of Americans are praying less often. Uh, in, tw- um, in 2015, about 32% of people uh, said that they've prayed. Um, and that is, uh, uh, that is, uh, that's down from the 18, 18% in 2017, rather, or hold on. So 32% said uh, they seldom or never pray. That's up from 18%. So that's a increase of 14% of people that said they seldom or never prayed over the past 14 years. Increasingly, Mm -hmm. Americans aren't praying, but when we face these calamitous situations like Ukraine, like the pandemic, and we realize we ourselves can't do something to get us out of this mess, we need something bigger than ourselves, many of us are turning toward the God of the sky who welcomes our prayers, and what it says in Proverbs 15:8, he delights to hear our prayers. Um, if you're listening right now and you're saying to yourself, um, I'm not sure I know how to pray, uh, you're not the first to wonder about that. Jesus's own disciples asked that question. Uh, you know, Lord, teach us to pray. So let me encourage you, if you're listening right now and you, you don't know how to pray, um, let me encourage you to um, discover how Jesus prayed. He went off to a solitary place. He simply lifted up his heart before the Father. Um, he asked he asked God personally to, um, to, to bless him, to equip him, to answer the questions he had. Um, and if Jesus needed to get off by himself and pray, then certainly so do we. And then when his disciples asked him to teach them to pray, Jesus did so. And that's, that's what we call the Lord's Prayer. So if you don't know how to pray or what to pray, let me encourage you to pray the Lord's prayer and pray it word by word and then line by line and then thought by thought um, because it's, um, it's an endless well of deep, rich resources for our prayer life. You could also pray um, along with the prayers of like the Apostle Paul, who wrote many of the letters of the New Testament, and in each one of them, there are some very, very rich prayers. So um, pray the Bible, pray the Psalms. The Psalms are a prayer book. You can turn to them and you can pray them as we as we started out praying Psalm 91 for the issues of this particular day. I'd also encourage you to demonstrate prayer to others. Invite other people to pray. Ask them how you can pray and then do it right then and right there. People today in the culture want prayer. They they don't know that they can just ask us for it because it seems a strange thing to do in the culture, but trust me when I tell you, I have never had anyone deny me when I have offered to pray for them. Waitresses at restaurants, a stewardess on an airplane, I have never had anyone uh, tell me no, answer no, when I have offered to pray for them. And I just do it right then and right there in public, in the middle of the grocery store, like wherever I am, um, because that is the prayer without ceasing witness of the people of God. God is available right now. He's listening right now in real time. We have access to him because Jesus has made the way for us. The curtain, the veil is torn from top to bottom. God has given us full access to his throne room. And we have a power that the world does not know and desperately needs. So learn how to pray. Demonstrate prayer. Do it in real time teach it to others. I think this is a great opportunity for the church to express truth, be a place of refuge and hope, and to demonstrate the very real power of the very real God in very real time um, 
by the power of prayer. Sorry, Nick, I took the rest of our time. I just oh, no, gobbled it up. I, I just wanted to, I wanted to say amen. Yeah. <laughs> we, have a, we have a God that not only welcomes our prayer, but also is asking us. He, he says in Hebrews 4, to boldly approach his throne of grace and receive grace and mercy in time of need. Amen. Amen. Nick, as always, thank you so much. You bless my heart. So good to be with you, Carmen. You too. That's Nick Pitch. You can find him at the Institute for Global Engagement. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge, and this is Faith Radio. So much going on um, in the world today. Um, We're going to spend our time um, in in the next few minutes talking about events unfolding in Ukraine. Uh, And I would say that in terms of the news of the day, this is going to this is going to lead the conversation. This is going to be on people's hearts and minds, whether or not it is the presenting issue in their particular life. Uh, And so. We're going to talk about, you know, the latest unfolding uh, chirons across the screen in terms of what's happening uh, during the Russian invasion of Ukraine. Let me just say this. Um, I think that the next 24, 48, 72 hours are going to be very, very bad. Um, the the Ukrainian people and the Ukrainian military have to this point been able to withstand, press press back against. More than a half a million people have had an opportunity to flee Um, from Ukraine to neighboring countries, but there are millions more who want to leave. Their exit may well um, be hindered and or prevented. And I would say that people in Kyiv are now going to be in Kyiv. And certainly that's true in uh, in Kharkiv and in other parts of the country. There is a, a city in eastern Ukraine that is, as of this morning, it's in the Donetsk uh, region, um, it is, as of this morning, fully encircled, um, and the people there are um, are willing to to die. Um, their their mayor has said um, important infrastructure has been destroyed. There's no electricity in our city. There is no heat, and we will fight to the last bullet. We're talking about a city of four hundred thousand people, um, and and so when we focus our attention. Uh, almost exclusively on the very large cities of Kiev and Kharkiv, we may be missing what is happening um, in the rest of Ukraine. And so let us be uh, on our knees before the Lord this day, praying prayers of protection, um, God's intervention, that God would change the heart of Vladimir Putin, um, that the course would be reversed, that an off-ramp would be found. Um, And we're going to turn our attention to those headlines in just a moment. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge, and this is Faith Radio. Hold Me Fast, the uh, sung prayer of many in all kinds of circumstances in Ukraine today. Uh, You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge. We bring the mind of Christ to bear on the matters of our day, and so we are focusing on this sixth day of the war in Ukraine um, on uh, on unfolding headlines related to it. And one of the things we're going to talk about um, in, in this portion of today's program 
is uh, is what's going on that people of a purely secular worldview might be missing. Um, people who think that uh, Vladimir Putin has, you know, let's say lost his mind um, or that he is, you know, he's operating in a way that no one that is like beyond understanding. Um, part of what I think we often miss uh, from a particularly the the media that's operating out of a secular worldview, like they're not looking for thousand uh, year old answers to the question. They're not even looking necessarily for hundred year old answers to the question. They're looking for contemporary progressive Western answers to the question. And when you look at uh, when you look at what's going on uh, between Russia and Ukraine, from a a purely twenty first century progressive history, you know everybody is better off um, if there are no. I mean, yeah, the globalism perspective. I'll just I'll just say it that way. I'll encapsulate it that way. If you were to take a progressive globalist view of things then you could never make sense of what's going on in Vladimir Putin's mind as he seeks to rebuild, redeem, save um, what he views as the Russian Empire. And so you have to look back like a thousand years to uh, understand what's uh, what's at root here. And... Um, Yes, there are these geopolitical, geographic reasons that Putin wants um, a large land mass in what we would call the Russian sphere. There's a, there's a reason for that, and that's because they've been invaded over land uh, by Napoleon and then by Hitler. So there are those kinds of conversations, and you can point to those and say, you know, that's really what's going on here. You can point to the breakup of the Soviet Union. And uh, which Putin continues to view as like literally the worst thing that happened in the 20th century. A lot of bad things happened in the 20th century. He still views that as the worst one. Um, And so, you know, rebuilding the Soviet Union, uh, rebuilding the empire is partially what he has in mind. But you have to go back in terms of understanding the, the religious motivation of this individual and you say to yourself i mean you know aren't isn't russia isn't russian communism atheistic um no in fact uh the russian orthodox church is fully standing behind putin and so it's become more like a puppet church than the church of jesus christ uh which led to one of the events that I think we don't often talk about, and certainly secular media is not talking about, um, is something that just happened in 2019. In 2019, um, the the Orthodox, the Eastern, um, I got to get the language right here, the Ecumenical Patriarch of the Eastern Orthodox Church. You see why I had to look that up. Uh, the Ecumenical Patriarch of the Eastern Orthodox Church recognized an independent Ukrainian Orthodox Church. They set up a new see. They set up a new, um, what we would call a bishop, but essentially a pope. The Russian Orthodox Church um, had been, which is centered in Moscow, had been um, the, the primary religious relationship for all Orthodox Christians in Ukraine. 
But in 2019, the Ecumenical Patriarch of the Eastern Orthodox Church recognized an independent Ukrainian Orthodox Church, which the Russian Orthodox Church has never acknowledged. So there is a schism within the Orthodox Church that only goes back a couple of years. But there's a schism that goes back to, what, 1054? I think that's right. I think that's the year of the Great Schism. Um, If you go back to the year 1054, and this is the year 2022, and this is where, like, history matters and understanding the history of the church matters, there's a reason that a lot of Western Christians don't know anything about uh, Orthodox Christianity. And it's because we stopped paying attention in 1054 when they went their way and, quote, unquote, we went our way. Um, And it was all about whether or not the Holy Spirit was a full member of the Trinity, coexistent and co-eternal with the Father and the Son, or if the Holy Spirit proceeded from the Father and the Son. And you think to yourself, okay, seriously, they, they didn't, they're not just splitting hairs over that? They split the church over that? Yes. Yes. And it, it resulted in, you know, this 1,200-year legacy of mistrust and misunderstanding between Orthodox Christianity and Western Christianity, including Roman Catholicism. And so when the Pope, who's Roman Catholic, by the way, offers to be like the arbiter of peace, you can see why there might be a little pushback against that. So all of that is stirred up in this pot. Also stirred up in this pot um, is something that happened in 15, uh, no, no. 1453, again, looking at my notes. Um, And that is the fall of Constantinople to the Ottoman Turks. So Ivan the Terrible took on um, this imperial title of what were regarded as the fallen Eastern Caesars. Um, and, And from this era onward, like Moscow was to be seen as this like, Third Rome, after the second Rome of Constantinople, fell to the Ottoman Turks. And so there was this understanding of this Moscow prince assuming the role of the supreme ruler of Christian um, Eastern Orthodox countries. Okay, at some level, that's going on in Vladimir Putin's mind. Yes, he wants the Kievan Rus people um obviously, you know, having emerged out of Kiev. Yes, he wants them as a part of Mother Russia. But he also wants to be, like, the great prince of the Third Rome, Moscow. All of that is going on here. And I think that when when people of a, of a genuinely postmodern mindset a post-religious um, mindset, uh, a, a mindset that is sanitized of anything genuinely religious, um, they don't see this in what's going on. And so you're going to hear conversations today about, you know, Putin needs to be offered a diplomatic off-ramp. And let me just ask you, if for you this were religious if you started to understand this as and when i say religious i don't necessarily mean um anything that makes sense to anybody else right but if putin has this in his mind 
in much the same way that we have had a hard time understanding um, suicide bombers who are religiously motivated. Okay, that that would not be something that a person with a rational and religious mind would be able to understand. But it happens. And people who don't acknowledge the depth of the power, the breadth of the power, the reality of the power um, of religious confusion and what it leads to have never understood jihad and still don't. If you and so if you if you can't if you can't see your way to what's motivating Vladimir Putin whether or not he publicly acknowledges that he's a religious person at all but if he sees himself as the prince of Moscow if he sees himself in this way as a salvific figure there's no he's not going to be willing to take an off ramp and i think we ought to keep that in mind as conversations um, arise today and in the coming days about, you know, the global community trying to figure out a way to create an off ramp for Vladimir Putin to reverse course. So now for the latest on what's happening in Ukraine, a Russian convoy, which yesterday morning was 3.25 miles long by last night when I went to bed was 17 miles long. When I got up this morning, uh, that Russian convoy of of saddle of uh, of equipment, military equipment and personnel, is now more than forty miles long, and it has reached um, the outskirts of Kiev. Russians shelled civilian neighborhoods in the eastern city of Kharkiv yesterday, while peace talks were underway in Belarus. Um, in those uh, attacks in Kharkiv, the Russians. Uh, used cluster munitions, which are outlawed most places in the world, and many civilians died. Um, On the good news front, uh, Ukraine's Minister of Digital Transformation tweeted out that Elon Musk's uh, promised Starlink terminals have now arrived in Ukraine. Those Starlink terminals will provide satellite internet even if traditional means of digital communication are interrupted. How broadly those can be dispersed throughout Um, throughout Ukraine, particularly to the cities in the east that have already been um, overtaken by uh, by Russia, um, is unknown. Ukraine's President uh, Zelensky signed an application yesterday for his country to be admitted um, to the European Union. He also appealed to the world, um, now allied with Ukraine, to create and defend a no-fly zone over much of his country. You are going to um, hear much discussion about that. And as images emerge and we look at what is, you know, what is like the slowest moving convoy in, in, all, of re- in all of recent military history, the convoy is not even moving like a mile an hour, that 40-mile-long convoy. And so you say to yourself, as an American, you know, that's not hard to hit. But we're not flying there and we're not going to do that. And so you're going to you are going to hear conversations um, today, uh, a lot of conversations about why and what happens if we do engage. I think of, of particular significance yesterday, Switzerland 
which has remained neutral in virtually every global conflict I could I could think of. In fact, they have remained neutral in every global conflict is no longer neutral. They have uh, aligned themselves with more than 100 other nations uh, on the side of Ukraine against this Russian aggression. The uh, Russian economy is in a death spiral. You'll hear um, headlines related to that today. And you are going to see pictures and you are going to hear um, reports of civilian deaths um, in Ukraine as this um, as this unfolds. I'm going to read uh, one thing from uh, Senator Marco Rubio, Rubio here because he's the vice chair of the Senate Intelligence Committee. And so he knows a lot more about this than the rest of us. Uh, he says this is the most dangerous moment in 60 years. Um, he went on to say uh, Putin is facing a humilita- humiliating military fiasco. He has triggered extraordinary consequences on Russia's economy and her people that will not be easy to reverse. And his only options to resist this imbalance are catastrophic ones. Um, and so when you have uh, a person like Putin who sees no good way out, um, he may only proceed in a, an increasingly hostile and negative direction. All right, you are listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge. We are seeking to bring the mind of Christ to bear on the matters of this day, um, and we will continue to do so in just a moment. Those are uh, the voices of Christian Ukrainian students singing in the dark. That is a demonstration of light and a demonstration of faith. Um, And that is the witness and testimony that I uh, want to fan the flame of, even as we recognize that uh, the world is holding its breath um, and trying to figure out exactly what to do and how to respond. You're going to hear a lot about that in tonight's State of the Union address from President Biden. So let's be praying for him as he uh, finalizes um, the remarks that he intends to make because it's a very dynamic situation and um, it's an it's it's an, an unenviable uh, opportunity, although I envy it. So there you go. I'm actually going to lead off the next hour with my own State of the Union address. It'll be brief, but <clears throat> you don't want to miss it. Um, I do want to talk here about other headlines uh, across America today, and these are all headlines related to abortion. Um, uh, there are an extraordinary number of women crossing state lines to um, access abortion abortions at abortion clinics because in their states, abortion is increasingly restricted. So let's take Texas as an example. Um, people are traveling, women, pregnant women are traveling from, I'm reading an article right here, um, from... Texas to, in this case, a Planned Parenthood uh, clinic in uh, in Washington. Um, and so in Washington state, sorry. Um, and they're talking about uh, the distance women are traveling to access abortions in America today. And um, and so where a lot of people uh, have an abortion clinic very, very close to their home. Others in America do not, and it's you know it's getting further and further away. So I read that, and I um, and I acknowledge that Planned Parenthood and all of their affiliates are uh, ramping up services and and adding to their services travel vouchers 
to provide the way for women to um, take the lives of their unborn children. And I recognize that the conversation in America is changing because there are now ways to um, accomplish at home what historically uh, women had to go to a clinic to accomplish. And you say, oh, my goodness, not do it yourself. Yes. Uh, Coming through abortion, quote unquote, medication, truly poison, sent by uh, the mail, sent through the mail. I, I am hoping that there will be legislation that restricts this. However, um, it, it doesn't appear as if that's particularly in the works. So um, when, when the Texas uh, bill went into effect and became law, um, there, there were these organizations that then, you know, stood themselves up and started providing this abortion medication by mail um, and requests for this increased 1,200% the week the Texas uh, law went into effect, 1,200%. So increasingly, abortions are taking place at home and I would call them chemically induced abortions, where the um, the unborn uh, child is poisoned and the womb becomes an inhospitable environment. That might be the best way to, to explain what happens through a chemical um, abortion. You are going to also read today um, lots about what's happening in the U.S. Senate. And questions about why, uh, as Democrats control Congress, why they don't just legalize abortion? Why don't they just pass a law? Um, And there are reasons for that, not least of which there are still uh, Democrats who recognize that abortion is murder. And so um, even though it might only be one or two or a maximum of three Democrats who would vote down such a law, um, that means they really only need a handful of Republicans to cross the aisle to accomplish such. Um, So when we think about the possibility and anticipate the possibility that the Supreme Court may well overturn Roe v. Wade, remember that that just means we return to a system, uh, the system that predated the passage of Roe in the mid-1970s, which would mean every state is going to decide what happens in their state and what resources are provided um, related to abortion and its access. So overturning Roe v. Wade is not going to make abortion illegal in America. It is simply it would simply say it is not recognized as a right um, to be accessed by every citizen on demand in every state. Every state would then decide what are the abortion access rules and regulations laws going to be in our state. Some states have gone so far as to um, amend their state constitutions to protect the life of the unborn. Um, Now, obviously, those aren't going to go. Those laws can't go into effect until uh, after Roe v. Wade is overturned by the Supreme Court. Um, But other states have gone in the opposite direction and they have concretized in their constitutions access to abortion as a as a recognized right in their states. And so the the patchwork approach um, state by state, will replace um, the national understanding 
I say national, the understanding among those who agree with the Supreme Court's Roe v. Wade decision that abortion is uh, is a right. I, I clearly don't think abortion is a right. In fact, I think abortion is a wrong. So um, there you go. And that's not to say that I don't um, understand and appreciate the very complicated situations in which women find themselves. I just recognize that that's a life and that's a human life. And it then becomes our responsibility to help her bring that child um, into to the point of healthy birth and then help her raise that child uh, in the context of the community of faith. So let's be those godmothers and those godfathers, those god-grandparents and uh, aunts and uncles in the family of faith who are willing to come alongside um, moms who need help raising their kids. If we're going to make good on our sense that um, every life matters and, um, and the life of the unborn needs a voice. You are listening to Mornings with Carmen. I am Carmen LaBerge. This is Faith Radio, and uh, we'll be right back. I'm encouraging uh, those of you who may have missed yesterday's program to uh, to listen to it. The, the final conversation that we had at the end of the second hour about adoption um, is relevant not only to the conversation that we just had about um, abortion access in America, but also relevant to the conversation that we had about coming alongside the most vulnerable, the least of these in Ukraine, which would be the children. Um, and there will be orphans um, who emerge out of this crisis and they will need families and homes. Um, and so let's begin praying and thinking about the way that each each one of us might serve others in these days um, by celebrating our own adoption into the family of faith and how we might uh, invite others to be adopted as well. We've got another hour up next. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.